This week on Tequila Sunrise, you're going to find out how an escape from tyranny, an intentional upbringing, construction, and conga gave one founder the will and the skill to succeed in supply chain tech against all odds. Listen up. It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise, where, without the aid of tequila, unfortunately, we open your eyes to how tech, founders, and venture investing ticks. Focused on supply chain tech every week at this unholy hour of the day. So if you want to know how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me every single week for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here from Supply Chain Now. Always happy, never satisfied, willing to acknowledge reality but refusing to be bound by it. My goal is to inform, enlighten, and inspire you in your own supply chain tech journey. Subscribe to Tequila Sunrise on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Now, let's hear the rest of the story from Jason Perez, CEO of Yards. His story of gratitude, attitude, intellect, and entrepreneurship. Listen up. Again, the, the biggest impact I ever had was really the, the Marines, you know, and, and not being able to go. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, it was such a difficult realization reality i should say for me to deal with it took a long long time i think you know you can be wounded and still move forward and i think i was heavily heavily wounded for a very long time and i kept on adapting i kept on i thought there was a way that i can still make that path happen in, in my life so i went from all right well i'm not going to go marines intelligence i'll just go to intelligence agency and then i go and i meet with these people and i'm like eh i don't know if i really like these people and what they're telling me. And I don't know if I want to get involved with this anymore. Right. Yeah. And so you just get your whole life flipped upside down and you, yeah, it's, it's wounded, you know, yeah. you're, you're wounded. So and how'd you, how'd you get past that? Cause I, I mean, I know it took, you said it took a while, but I mean, did you just power through or did you find that next thing? Did you give yourself a kick in the ass or what? I think part of maturity is understanding the things that aren't supposed to happen. And I think it wasn't until I hit a point where I realized this just isn't supposed to happen for me. I need to move in a different direction. And when I did that, when I finally said, hey, I'm, I'm committed 100% to construction, I was out of the hole. You know, when I made that decision and I moved and said 100%, construction is going to be my life now. And I'm going to make the best of it that I can. And I'm going to be the owner of this company one day. I'm going to, within about... Uh, a year and a half of working there, you know, I started getting stock options and equity stake in in a big engineering firm, you know. And so, mm -hmm. what I realized is when I put my energy in the directions that I want, then that positive energy will bring me out of that positive direction. Those goals that continue to get met, right, will allow me to feel productive. It'll allow me to feel like I have purpose. And all that said, 
that's with a year of, of kind of praying and going, God, what do you, you know, what is going to happen in my life? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And I think, you know, I was the one not listening. I was the one going, God, I want to go this direction. I want to go this direction. I want to go this direction. Instead of like, hey, you know what? Just be the best. Whatever you do, your job is not to be a Marine or an entrepreneur or whatever label you want to put on your life. You know what your job is? Is to be the best reflection of me possible. Like go out, love people, be good to them, do the right thing. And everything else is going to follow. So when you go to run the division at the engineering construction firm, be the best you can be. Talk to them in love. Talk to them in grace. Give them purpose. And you will have purpose. You know, you just start to fulfill because you realize that you're not an entrepreneur. You're not a Marine. You're not a dad. You're not a husband. For me, like my goal is to be a loving human being. That's that's my goal. And I can accomplish that no matter what I'm doing. If tomorrow yards is gone, which obviously our investors wouldn't like. And I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. But, you know, if if for whatever reason, the whole world got flipped upside down, I can still be a loving human being. That's what I can do. And I think, you know, my perspective on life just changed. So that's you know, we talk a lot about the incoming generations having a higher purpose. That is a great example of a higher purpose. It's well beyond your job. It's well beyond your role in the workplace or even in the home or even in within your family. It is your role within the world. It is what you can be yourself without anyone else's definition, without anyone else's approval or disapproval or uh, even acknowledgement, you can be that. Yeah, right? you can be that loving person. That's right, um, man. You are a philosopher, dude. I'm telling you. <laughs> and a that good was one that too. was a fourth major for me, by the way. Or, oh, is that right? So, uh, so I heard. Wait, let's and let's go back there real quick. Political science, international. Yeah. So, so technically, I guess it's not um, three majors. It's double major, triple emphasis. So I did. Oh, got it. Okay. International economics. Got it developmental economics, and then international relations is under political science. So I had yeah. two, two minors, I guess, in economics, and then it, one minor in political science. And then I got my bachelor's of science in economics and political science. But clearly you had a view of impacting the world. Yeah. Two classes away from a uh, third third major, not, a, not an emphasis or minor, philosophy, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it's no wonder you're so thoughtful with those as, I mean, even economics is arguably a more artistic than scientific discipline. That's right. I I can (laughs) say that because I also minored in economics. So a a lot of economics people get really insulted when you say that, but let's shift forward to yards a little bit. So you got this great gig, this consulting company where you're, you are literally saving lives and changing the world. What in the name of heaven came over you to get you to go from a high cash flow person to person type gig to technology? Yeah. <laughs> tell me, no, I mean, I'm, I, I say that tongue in cheek, right? But tell me what, where did you get the idea for yards and what made you, what inspired you or compelled you to make the leap? So we'll start. I, I actually decided to soft exit or walk away from my consulting company because of the birth of my my second son. So 
my even though I lived in Georgia, 95% of the contracts that we landed, um, even when we were traveling all over the world, they still st- stemmed from Southern California. So, you know, early stages, I was flying back and forth every other week to California. Mm. And then we started living there, you know, at a year stent at a time. That's right. Um, you went back and forth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then when my first son was born, we had, I think only two dogs at the time, not three, I can't remember, but we were, we decided to get an RV and we're like, well, I'm going to keep the family together. That's my goal, right? Family is, is really important to me. So we, we got an RV and we had travel and live in the RV for three months at a time in San Diego. When my second son was coming, we're like, well, this is going to work with two dogs, two kids and, you know, et cetera. In yeah. a fifth wheel, I assume, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a class A um, Tiffin. Oh, okay, so it was pretty pretty good size, but so it, it like didn't a matter. bus I mean, type, right? Yeah, yeah, like a bus. So at that point, it was it was okay. This isn't going to work. So we got an apartment. My wife and I are originally from California, right? That's where we met. We're, we were high school sweethearts. So we got an apartment out there, and my my second son was born there in San Diego. And within a couple months, we just realized again, you know why we love Georgia so much, why we love the South, the support system that we have here, just how genuinely caring and sincere everybody sincere everybody was out here in Georgia. Uh, and, and I would qualify the South. So we just didn't feel like that was where we wanted to be. You know, that's where we, we moved away in the first place. So it was a really tough decision. I had uh, multiple project managers on multiple projects going at the same time. And I knew that I had their families as well with me. And so we just had to make a decision. At the end of the day, I've always told my wife, they come before uh, the company. And so that doesn't mean that I spend the most time with them. It just means at the end of the day, when there's a pivotal decision, I'm going to put them first. And so that's what we did. We said, we're moving back to Georgia. I sat down with my advisors. I don't make decisions by myself. Rarely, you know, I always surround myself with good counsel. And I sat down with my advisors, said, this is what's going on. And they're like, look, if you go back and you plan on not coming back very often, then you got to do the right thing for your team. Because sooner or later, you know, you're not going to grow. You can try to do the same thing out there in Georgia, but it sounds like you're kind of just over the whole consulting side in the first place. And so, you know, I walked away not knowing what I was going to do, but what I knew is I wanted to see my family every single night. And so that's what we did. We moved back to Georgia and I cut some really sweet deals for all my employees. They got massive boosts in salaries and uh, they were already making big money before about 20 to 30% higher than anybody else in the industry. So when they got the second bump, they were really happy. Yeah. Um, and uh, And everybody ended up in, in a really good place. And so my neighbor comes over one day and, and he's like, Hey, I got an idea. I said, all right, what's your idea? Cause you know, everybody has an idea. Right. And uh, usually they're really, really good ideas. Um, but it takes someone to implement them. Right. So, um, he said, well, I want to start an independent rental brokerage. I said, okay, cool. Sounds cool. What are you going to do? I'm going to hire a bunch of people and they're going to go out and they're going to sell any rental company, it doesn't matter. They're just going to find equipment for people. I said, okay, well, how are you going to fund that? And he goes, well, I, I'm going to start by myself and I'm going to do this. And we start walking through and I'm showing them all the cash flow issues and how what it takes to scale. I just went from a people uh, intensive uh, business, right? You know, so so after that talk, it was him and his brother in law. 
I think they went back and they're like, they either said Jason's a jerk or Jason's smart. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was the first one. Jason, Maybe both. Yeah. 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 He's really smart, but he really dashed <laughs> my dreams. <laughs> so, so I tell him, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm like, hey, if you ever want to do tech around this, I think there's, there's some viability there, but I don't know the market enough. So I spent about nine months sitting down with him, visiting different contractors, making phone calls, and doing true intensive customer discovery. And what I found very quickly, and this is important for the people that are listening, like this is something I tell people over and over and over and over and over again. So please listen. When you're looking at market timing and you're going, I'm going to disrupt this market. It is ready. It is ripe. It's not because people are talking about it. It's just not. It's not because you spoke to them and sold them on an idea because they will buy all day long ideas and never pull out their wallet when the product is there. When you start looking at market timing, the most important thing, at least for me, that I found was not that there was just pain there, but that people were solving the pain on their own. They might not have the perfect tool, but they were trying to solve the pain in their own way. They were spending their own time and energy to solve it. And so what we found was, in reflection, to, to, to make it easy for people to understand, we went into offices and we saw whiteboards. And we didn't see a whiteboard with just equipment written on there. We saw whiteboards with different color mark or markers based on who they rented with. A blue marker for these guys, a green marker for those guys. And we're like, look, they're trying to organize the data already. And you look at the sticky notes, they're different colors. And then they have a wall and they move those based on when they're supposed to be called off, right? For equipment. And you're going- So tell, tell our listeners what called off means. Yeah, so called off, when you rent a piece of equipment- and we're talking heavy construction or mining or whatever equipment, That's right? right. It, it we're not talking bulldozer. about we're not talking about a pressure washer here, right? Sometimes <laughs> we're talking about bulldozers and dump trucks and whatever else, right? Oh yeah, fifteen thousand a month type rentals, right? Yeah. I mean, it, they're expensive pieces of equipment. So when you rent a piece of equipment, they're going to send it out to your job, and then you're going to say, "Hey, I want to rent it for three weeks," and they're like, "Cool, sounds good." And then when week three comes. You know what they're not going to do? They're not going to come pick it up on week three, all right? They're going to say, hey, seems like you need it for longer. We're going we're gonna to be courteous and let you have it for longer. And look, that's their job. Their job is to supply you with the best equipment possible because you need equipment. I think there's some companies out there that are trying to reverse some of this perception of, of rental companies, and they are trying to build alerts and things like that in so people know. But, but a call-off is when you get to that third week, calling your sales rep and saying, I need it off my project. Call you, off. You mean literally on a phone, you have to call someone on a telephone. That, that, that's right. Well, no, you For, can for our listeners, maybe pass. we should explain what a telephone is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> does anybody use, I mean, it's, it, I mean, that, that gives you some idea of the archaic nature of the management. That's right. Of this aspect of the industry, right? That's right. And you can also send an email. You you are still allowed to fax, believe it or not. I rented a piece of equipment about a year and a half ago. And when I went to pay for it, this is me. I went to pay for it. They said, well, you got to fill out our credit card authorization form. I said, perfect. Email to me. Well, we need to fax it to you. I said, oh, you can't email me the form. Don't you guys have an email version? And they're like, no. I said, okay. So I got a fax number online, right? You get online, you do some Google searching or whatever. And I found a fax number I can use. They faxed it and it came to my email. And then I had to use that same faxing mechanism to fax it back to them. Wow. 
Amazing. So that wow. that's that's where the industry essentially is at. So a call off is the last day of rental, right? And we so, saw people struggling with figuring that out. So that I, I think that I think your recognition is a deeper level than I have heard described, at least with any frequency, maybe ever. And that is, it's not enough that people say there's a problem. It it needs to be a significant enough problem that people have chosen to solve it on their own rather than to continue to endure it. Exactly. That is such a great, that's such a great perspective. I I don't think you can say that loudly enough. That is a really, really good perspective because as you said, everybody has an idea and everybody loves that idea until it's time to write a check. That's right. And, And the truth is when you're searching for solutions, people don't run towards ROI and you and I've had this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. I have this discussion frequently. It was a harsh, harsh awakening for me as a solution provider. People don't run fast toward ROI. They run fast away from pain. That is probably the best enunciation of that concept that I've ever heard. That's really good. That was a, that was a really uh, mature awakening and probably driven a lot by your experiences of being a consultant. Yeah. Wow. You talk about kind of life and, and how it's come along. If I had planned my life, it would look so different, but it probably wouldn't have come close to where I'm at today, you know? And I think, I think God's plan of putting me and incrementally giving me these little chunks that I could grow mature through. If I didn't have a consulting company, undoubtedly, there's no way I would have survived where I'm at today. And if I didn't run the Southeast, I wouldn't have had to read the P&Ls and balance sheets and gone through all the budgeting that I, that I did. Right. And Mm. so every single kind of phase or season that I had in my life taught me so much that brought me to this moment where I felt confident and comfortable enough to start a tech company, which I still, with all whatever knowledge and support I have, could never fathom how difficult it was going to be. But at least you internalized all of those experiences. I think that's another good lesson for people to take away here is you might not like what you're doing now, and it may not be what you want to do long term, but there is something you can learn from it. And to consciously and intentionally internalize those learnings is so, so valuable. You create purpose out of the things that you've experienced, bad or good. Yeah, you right. You drive purpose out of it. All right. So you so you started so you saw the this problem, you saw that tech was potentially a solution, you immediately identified that they were trying to organize data. That was a pretty cool awakening, I'm sure. Yeah. Where'd you go from there? Yeah, so we we did a, a ton of customer discovery and um and then we met up with uh we got involved with ATDC locally here. We actually met two our two of our advisors there, Shane Matthews and, and Michael Sangbush. And first time we sat down with Michael Sangbush. We said, here's our MVP, right? We're ready. Look at all the customer discovery. And he looked and he's like, well, you did your homework and it looks like there is something there, right? Um, and Shane Matthews really picked us apart as well. But then, but then- Shane you know, brings a whole new level of understanding to market 
yeah. research, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he does. His requirements for market research are substantial to say the least. I I agree. And I think, you know, we did customer discovery at the best level I could do. Mm-hmm. And then we did customer discovery to the best level that I can do based on Shane's requirements. I won't say the best level is Shane because obviously he's going to do it better than, than all of us, but I did it the best of my ability based on Shane's requirements. So we, we walked, we're like, we're ready to build our MVP. We walk into Michael Sangbush's office and man, what a blow out of that meeting. He pretty much told us in very kind word that first of all, it's not an MVP. That's just dumb. It, that doesn't look anything like an MVP. And, uh, and we're like, no, this is what we have to build. And he's like, nope, nope, not even close. And so he ripped apart our MVP and it went from like $120,000 build to a $10,000 build, which is great since I was right. self-funding and we built it. And what we found out is if we would have built that initial MVP, oh my gosh, what a waste of money that would have been. And instead we went, we built it, we tested the market. We had kind of this Expedia model initially and what we found was hey the market's not really ready to take that leap you looked at all the pain you saw how they were solving it and then you ignored one of the most key behavioral elements of construction which is i've got relationships and so we started looking and going okay how can we they were not ready to shed their travel agents yet effectively is what you discovered. I mean, that's essentially what Expedia did was it replaced travel agents and the market was not ready to get rid of their travel agents. They, they were not, we looked, we looked and we said, okay, we thought that we can do this big supply chain jump, right. And, and Mm -hmm. skip steps, but you you can't, you got to understand again, the behavior psychology. And so we looked and we said, okay, how do we match their current supply chain with tech? right? How do you match their behavior? And so we built a product that they could customize and decide who they were going to go to specifically down to their sales rep. And we created a efficiency communication tool to facilitate the transaction. And so we made it easy for them to one, go out to the three people that they normally go out to. And instead of picking up the phone and making three phone calls, getting voicemails, whatever it is, we cut that time down to about 15 seconds. Some people would send out emails, but then the emails come in at different times. And how do you group them together and compare the notes and et cetera? So what we did was we made a quote board, right? It looks just like their email, but it comes in and guess what? It's all of them come in one place. They don't have to search through a bunch of stuff. One quote has all three responses. And so we started to really, again, match the tools that they use day to day. That's a great description of MVP is essentially automating what arguably was a suboptimal process, which must have pained you slightly being a consultant by trade, <laughs> right? Yeah. But but you got them to the next level of maturity. And clearly, if you came in with $120,000 worth of development on it, what you called an MVP, you had a vision to the future of what this thing could be. Would that's you say correct. that's a fair guess? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 100%. But it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what vision, you know, is is to come. You know, it's kind of like I, I I really enjoyed the Zombieland movies. I don't know if, Greg, if you, you know, watched any of those. I feel like I've wasted part of my life not watching those. I've tried. <laughs> but only, you know, only in kind of catching them 
already started, but I feel like I ought to go back and watch those. Yeah, it's they're 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 funny. You know, it's kind of like the Dumb and Dumber type uh, idea. You either like it and get it, or you you don't and you don't. Right. So Woody Harrelson, right? That's right. And that's right. I can't remember who else. I, I I'm really bad with. I know. Uh, with I get. I really get into movies to the extent that I don't remember who the actors are. Yeah, right. but but I can tell you, it's funny because on the the second one that came out this last year, um, they're sitting there and they're talking and they're like, I've got a great idea for the future. What if you get on your phone and you push a button and it's like when you've been drinking so much you can't even drive and you don't even know what's going on, but you can push a button and a stranger will grab you, put them in their car, and they're going to drive you home, <laughs> right? And and the people look at them like, you're an idiot. That would never, who would get in somebody's car when they're drunk that they don't know the people and all this stuff, right? And if you would have described Uber that way, yeah. yeah. If you would have described that 20 years ago, like this is going to happen and it's going to be massive. The rideshare like market is going to be huge. You would go, there's no way, man. There's yeah. just not, not possible. Not possible. Taxis are licensed and they got background, like, there's no way that'll ever happen, but here we are, right? And so yeah. it's kind of the same idea. I looked and I, I looked at the vision. And I thought, I'm just going to skip and make it happen now. Mm-hmm. But but that's that's not the way the market works, you right? Ease the market into that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So so that's you know that's what we did with great you know advisors like you that that looked and said, yeah, we all see it. We all see where it's going to go, but here's where you need to be. And I think each one pushes the tolerance of that so we can get there a little bit quicker, but you know, there's, there's timing until the behavioral side changes until they become very used to it becoming computers instead of phones. You know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of work that has to come first. And, uh, and the great thing is, we're willing to put the work in. We're willing to be that bridge. And I think, you know, one thing we've learned in construction is, and people say this all the time as you talk to them, they'll tell you, once I make this decision, this is a long-term decision. You know, companies buy accounting programs and they use them for decades. Right. Project management programs. Right. Decades. Right. Asset management programs. Decades. You know, all the way down. Again, yep. supply chain programs decades decades. clearly decades it's decades you know it's decades yeah so you gotta you gotta get in there with something that makes sense for them to start to eat you get them in your restaurant and guess what they're not going to get out of their seat you know you just spoon feed them they're never full because you know what the entree should look like but at the same time you know they're still hungry they're sitting at your table and so you spoon feed them and they're like, well, I can't get up because I'm going to get hungry. If I leave, if I leave this tech, I'm going to be starved, right? Because yeah. now I know what it is to taste good food. Now you are the status quo, in effect, that they fear leaving. That's exactly so, right. So what do you think makes this such an impactful problem? What, uh, is it just the sheer dollars? I mean, we are talking about $15,000, $20,000 a month rentals. What do you think made this such an impactful problem that even with all of the industrial psychology and whatnot that you've applied and in your clear understanding of the problem and the level or maturity of solution that 
that the market was ready for. What made this a problem that was worthy of a solution like this? Man, that's such a good question. Like people usually don't stump me too much, Greg. But that the, what what made it? Um, you know, construction. I, I think th- there's a couple components of it. One, construction's been good to my family, you know, and I think I don't ignore those things anymore. For me, when I looked at construction, I was willing to listen a little bit more intently because I'm listening to the guys that are the same as my dad or my brother or, or me, and I'm dealing with them on a daily basis. And and the industry is growing exponentially. I mean, it's it's wow. it's crazy how much when you look at when a small company gets in and they start growing and they're renting 10 pieces of equipment and then all of a sudden they're renting a hundred pieces of equipment, it's pretty disruptive. And the amount of waste and inefficiency that come off of that are difficult to handle. You know, the growth, when you look and you go, well, but the construction industry as a whole or the rental industry as a whole, but what you don't see is after 2008 construction slowed down tremendously. And then all of a sudden you hit a growth spurt and the pain that is, that is experienced by these contractors is different than a slow growth that they can react to. Now the growth is so large in the last three to four years that the pain has never been so great. Right. That's you know? a good point. So they're feeling pain at a height. They're also experiencing technology at a whole new level that they never experienced before. I mean, people back to the Ubers, back to the Amazons, they're starting to become more technology accepting within their own personal lives. So at a professional level, it makes it easier. And I think there's a convergence of extreme pain, no one innovating in, in, in the space, really, at least not at a behavioral level. And then, you know, technology really being accepted within people's personal lives and a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say a change of the guard, because if you look, the average age of construction workers, really, it's kind of just grown. So it went from like, I think the late 20s, 29 to 30, and now it's like 41 or something. So, you know, the average age is is kind of grown. You would think that there would be a new turn of youth coming into that, that industry, but it hasn't. You know, one of our first customers was 65 years old or 66 years old about to retire. And he's like, Heck, I use tech every single day of my life. You know, why wouldn't I use it to get my job done easier? And he brought so many great ideas to our product because he had been doing this for 35, 40 years, you know, running equipment for that long, renting equipment for that long. So, you know, I think people just in general are ready to adopt tech to make their lives easier. They get it. They understand it. I think that the recognition that people are using it on a day-to-day basis, that's that's really important. I think the other recognition that you have acknowledged there is that we are on the precipice of the greatest generational transfer of knowledge in the history of the planet. The largest generation in the history of the planet is aging out of the workforce, 10,000 a day. That's right, the baby boomers. And they have largely kept their knowledge in their head because those were the systems of the day. It's in a notebook somewhere, it's in their head, or you know, I can't tell you the number of times I have heard, I just know it. right? Yes. And we need to capture that and we need to systematize that because the incoming generations and rightfully so, they want technology to do for them what technology can do for them. 
I think your recognition there is spot on and it's really valuable for what you're doing. And I know that you have a really strong relationship with Brassfield and Gorey. Yes. So tell me what is with them and other development and construction companies, what makes this problem so compelling and why are they demanding a solution like this? Because Brassfield and Gorey, they are essentially commanding their contractors and subcontractors to utilize something like this or many things like many technologies, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us that, why that, that is. Yeah. You know, th- there's twofold on it. One, again, it comes back to the pain and it comes back to the inefficiency. And the other is, I think collaboration is starting to become far more important within, within the industry. We're using Zoom right now. And, and, you know, all of a sudden that became popular because of what everybody's going through in the pandemic right now. But the reality is that those two things are really the indicators. So Brassfield and Gorey, you know, $4 billion a year general contractor. Right? They do a little bit of construction. I think they do more construction in the Southeast than anybody else. When they saw the Yards product, it wasn't because we pitched it to them, actually. I mean, this is how great, how innovative and forward thinking and the way that their company works. And, you know, other companies that might be listening to this right now should take a play out of the Brassfield and Gorey book right now as I go through the story. You know, they, they had a customer, Art Plumbing. It's a hundred-year-old plumbing contractor here in Atlanta, a company full of integrity and, and genuinely just good people. So they signed up to Yards. And about, I think it was the third day, they invited their suppliers on. Well, Brassfield and Gorey owns equipment rental part of their company, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, a pretty sizable one. And so they added Candace Lehman on there. She was their regional manager, a regional sales rep for Brassfield and Gorey. And when she saw the product, she said, wait a second, what, what is this? She called her customer. She said, can you give me a demo? The customer gave her a demo of the product. And she immediately got it and said, oh my gosh, all these spreadsheets that we're dealing to try to track equipment, all the things we're doing for our customers, all the things we're going to try, we're trying to track for our subcontractors. This just solved all of it and automated exactly what we do day to day. And the reason we got there again, is because of all the customers before they gave us all the feedback to tell them, tell us how they do business. Now we've developed a product that, like you said, old timers, they know how they do it. If you are willing to sit down and listen to them, take exactly what they do and build tech around it, you can solve a lot of problems. Just because they're not doing it with tech today doesn't mean that that brain isn't a mine, a gold mine of knowledge that you can take, extract, and create all that technical diamonds, if you will, you know, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, so they saw and they said, man, we're wasting a ton of time. We're trying to track rates. We're trying to track who's renting what we want to get more of our equipment onto the project. There's no visibility between the field and our office and the rental companies and all this stuff. Can you build something? We love what you're doing, but can you build something that's a little bit more collaborative and transparent from a project standpoint. So they challenged us. We did some custom debt for for them, delivered about a week early, which gained a lot of confidence. And next thing you know, we're building this completely collaborative shared project view for them. And now they're mandating, hey, on our $1 billion hospital job, you know, we want people, we want contractors to be on yards so that we can collaborate, we can come together, we can understand what's going on in the project. And guess what? It's not any extra work for you guys. 
I mean, that was the first question I would say. They said, well, gosh, are we going to have to learn a new system? No, you don't need to learn a new system. Okay, well, is it going to be a lot of time and effort? Am I going to have to hire somebody? No, you don't got to do that. We match exactly how you do business. It's going to be very simple. It's all going to come in the system. You're going to see it in one place, all the suppliers. You're going to see all your rates. You're going to see what's owned, what's rented, what's leased, everything in one place to make your life easy. Just think about your whiteboard and it living in a computer because that's what it's doing. And they're like, okay, well, this sounds great. And, you know, we have customers like Ronnie D. Jones, the first two weeks that he used the product because of the visibility, because we automate alerts to them, because we automate summaries to their teams. He wrote me an email. He said, I saved $20,000 in the first two weeks of getting on the product. Wow. And when you hear that, you go, we're doing something right here. Yeah. Brassfield and Gorey must have multiple opportunities like that with all of the projects they've got going on. And as you said, as the pace of the industry quickens, the exposure of those kinds of costs and inefficiencies, they just multiply exponentially as well, right? Instead of one $15,000 piece of equipment sitting there for an extra three weeks, so you pay another 15 grand, you got it on 10 or 15 or 20 sites. That adds up really, really quick. So I get why they're so into this. Well, and they're, so, and they're doing it for the customers. They're doing it for the customers because, right. you know, a lot of their projects, they're they're negotiated in. So it's not like they're out there putting a hard price to it and trying to increase the profits. They're trying to reduce the cost for their customers. And and again, they're, they're incurring a cost for themselves so that they can be better for their customers. And I look and I go, gosh, that's exactly who we are. We will incur cost ourselves so that our customers have a better experience. And, and I think... That just trickles down through all the different cultures of of who we want to be, who our customers are, you know, and and it's just, and where the industry needs to go, right? The industry needs to go, right? It's yeah. it's not about what's in it for me, because if that's the only way we're talking, the only way we're looking, you know, and I feel like a lot of conversations I have with different entrepreneurs and partners and things like that, you start talking to them and it's well, what do I get? Well, I think that's the wrong question. Usually my first thing is, hey, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Tell me what I can do for you. So, all right. So let's let's shift gears a little bit because I think I'd like to consolidate some of your insights so that we can share share them with our community. So uh, you've shared so much, and I think we can use refer people to a lot of that that will help them as they are either developing solutions for their own, selecting a solution provider, or or even hoping to build and grow a solution company of their own. So. Let me ask you this. What do you wish you had known earlier in life, either earlier in startup life or earlier in your life in general? And what do you think that might have changed? Earlier in life, I think something you said, which is just just be you. Um, you asked shortcomings that you know might work out for, for me being me. Um, I think we, we have to have some grace for ourselves. You know, we need to look and go, Hey, this is who we are, and I'm going to leverage my strengths. And where I don't have strengths, I'm going to find good people around me. From a life perspective, I wish I would have done that a lot earlier. I wish I would have had grace for myself a lot earlier. From a founder perspective, man, um, I wish I would have had a tech founder a lot a lot earlier. To yeah. start a tech company without a tech founder, the toughest thing I could have ever ever, ever done. 
you need both. You need the business guy. You need this, you know, the guy that thinks strategically in sales and and really looks at the behavior and and understands product. But if you don't have somebody building out that tech that has a passion to create that vision, it is just so hard. It's impossible. I would argue it's impossible, Jason. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I did because we've started doing these interviews with founders and this whole series, Tequila Sunrise, started with explaining to people what startup life was like, what investment life was like, what an A round meant or a seed round meant, things like that, right? I've gotten so much feedback to say, hey, wow, this has been really helpful for me. I think I'd really like to found a startup. So I felt compelled leveraging my dysfunction. I felt compelled (laughs) at that point. Your order. To share, that's right. To share with people, okay, you think you want a startup? This is what it really means to have a startup. And that is one of the must-haves. You must have a two-headed dragon, right? Yes. You must have a sales visionary subject matter expert, whatever you want to call it. And you must have a tech founder. You literally cannot go anywhere near where you need to go as a, as a company without that. And you've experienced that. I mean, that, I think that hindered you somewhat early on, but now you've got that. I know you can see the acceleration that it's given you. Right. But yeah, it is an absolute must. That is an absolute must. If there's anything I want anyone to take away, it's that. Find yourself a geek. Yes. Right. If you're not one, find yourself one. And if you are one, find yourself a huckster, a visionary huckster salesperson and learn to tolerate and exist with one another because you need each other. That's right. That's perfectly said. Anything else there has to be. I, I mean, I don't want you to go through the whole list. I think we'd all, we'd all die of old age, right? Anything else that comes immediately to mind that you think is a critical insight for founding and growing a company that could help? The, the number one thing, number one thing, period, hands down. I cannot emphasize this enough. And you know this, Greg. Advisors, advisors, advisors. Get people around you that have done it before and get a wide array of people, people good mm-hmm. at sales, people good at tech, people good at startup, people good at accounting. It doesn't matter. Like you got to build that C-suite team for you because none of us, I don't care how smart you are, none of us are smart enough to forecast all the different things you're going to go through. And in some cases, Greg, you're really good at this. In some cases, you just need somebody to tell you, hey, I believe in you, right? Like you've said, hey, everything is going to be okay. You're going to get to the other side of this. I know this this situation sucks, but wait a month and it'll change. So I I think you got to have good people uh, around you that are true advisors that can hold you accountable and and be there for you and and take those, those three month sprints, you know, have real objectives and shoot for them because you need wins. You need to be able to look at those three months and go, look at all I accomplished and feel good about that. Because the end goal, the vision, it could be 10 years down the line. So if you're not celebrating three months increments and holding yourself accountable, then you're never going to know. That's a real, that's a really good heads up. You are as smart as you are. You're not smart enough to do this on your own. And at the very least, you might be smart enough to do it on your own, but why 
continue to stick your foot in the mud when somebody can say, don't step there. That's right. Right. hundred um, uh, percent. That, that to me was so valuable. And frankly, I learned it the hard way, which is why I bet, as you know, I am so adamant about that is don't try to go it alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that, that is, that's really powerful. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm glad that, that you take that away. And I'm actually, I'm really encouraged by the number of successful entrepreneurs who really feel that way. Yeah. And if they don't feel that way at first, they feel that way eventually. All right. So let's go a little bit broader here. I want to, as we kind of start to wind down here, I want to, uh, the world is a different place than when you and I first started working together, which was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Right. Maybe more than that now. I, I can't even remember. T- tell me about some things that you you are completely at peace about or that you are curious or concerned about right now. And I mean, world wow. work. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really at peace of where I'm at with, with my family. You know, I really am. The, even some of the nights that I might spend a little bit late at the office, I know that I'm still going home every night to them. And I, and I, I'm just so encouraged every time that I get home and I go, man, I'm, I'm here and not on a plane or in a hotel somewhere. I've, I've been blessed to be able to make that decision. Boy, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about things that, that are kind of disruptive. I mean, I look, I come from a Cuban family, so it, it's been kind of a little bit of a turmoil situation here for the last eight months. Just looking at a country that, that was you know, so hopeful and provided such a great place for you know, my Cuban family that didn't speak the language to be able to come over here and create the life that they did. And I think, you know, Greg, I sit on a board for this refugee nonprofit. And when we look at every type of religious background, every type of race, every type of ethnicity there that we serve, but the amount of success they have because of the hope that they see, right? When they come to the U.S., they're just like my grandparents. They're so excited to be here. They go, this is the greatest country on earth. We're going to take on the world. And you know what they do? They take on the world, you know, but it's because like me, I grew up and I saw my parents. I said, they did it. I can do it. This is the most fertile ground to grow anything you want. And I believe that. And the refugees we work with believe that. And they're highly successful. And I think one of the most concerning things right now for me is that people, a lot of people have stopped believing that we're still having success for the ones that do. It's not that that people can't be successful. They just believe they can't be successful anymore. And that's sad because the ones that believe it, make it happen. And, and it really comes down to that. People, you know, I think there's this movement of mindfulness and all this type of stuff. But really all that means is, do you believe in where you can go or not. And you've got as, you know, I, I always forget who has said, I'm sure you know who said it, but you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I, I see a lot of people not taking and then complaining that they they haven't made the shot, you know? And the great one, Gretzky. Right? So for me, I'm so saddened because we have so many bright children out there that really just, just need to hear it doesn't, matter where you're sitting today there's a ben carson that's you know in a single parent home that becomes a pediatric neurosurgeon 
right? You can, you, you can do it. Just believe in yourself. You can do it. You know, these things can happen. You can go from zero to an entrepreneur. Just believe that you can do it. People do need to have a bit of an awakening that it doesn't matter who the government is or what the government gives you or what the government does. You can succeed. There were successful families in Cuba. Right. And there will always be those people that you've described who are exceptional, who are exceptionally hopeful or exceptionally ambitious or whatever you want to call it, exceptionally lucky, whatever it is, who will not be bounded by the tenets, politics, the dogma, the verbiage of a government or of a bureaucracy, and they will instead choose to live their lives. I mean, I, my family comes from one of the worst governments on the planet. Argentina is literally the only country in the world who has reached for first world status and then receded back to emerging nation status. Wow. The only country in the entire world ever, ever. And, and there, there are people who are plenty successful in one of the worst economies on the planet. Yeah. I feel like people need that encouragement. They need to hear what you've said. They don't need to necessarily change. They just need to recognize and they need to reach the level of comfort and hope that you have and that your family has that has allowed you to hit or find or seek the American dream. Well, right? I, you know what I love about what you said, Greg? Ignore the politics. Like when my, when my parents, grandparents came over, I don't even know who was in office. Yeah. I don't think it really matters who was in office. They were just grinding every day and they go, look, if you have a good product and, and you know, classic form, my, my, my grandfather started a landscaping business, right? Because that's easy to start. Um, the one thing he taught me was, look, I started a landscaping business and it took the same amount of time to ask my neighbor if he wanted me to mow his lawn as me to be in Beverly Hills and knock door to door and ask, <laughs> right? And so I knocked doors in Beverly Hills. That's where right. I knocked. And so he did, he did really well. He went to where the money was at, right? Right. But, why, why did Al, Al Capone rob banks? Because that's where the money is. That's where the money is. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, my, my point to this, though, is I've never looked and said, who's in office? Because that's going to determine whether or not I'm successful. So I just true. haven't. Does it affect other things? Of course, from a pol political standpoint, and government, socioeconomic, all these other things, taxes, whatever it might be, you can look and go, I'm going to be affected one way or the other. But whether Jason Perez is going to wake up and make Yard successful, I don't care who's in office. doesn't matter to me because I'm looking and going, I'm going to put every effort I can to make this happen. And Lord willing, I get blessed and all my work pays off. You know, if you can grab some people from the inner city and bring them out to listen to a couple refugee stories that came from Africa within the last couple you know, years, mm -hmm. started their own business, not knowing the language, are Muslim, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, well, on paper, this guy shouldn't succeed. Right. Wildly successful. You go, what's wrong here? Well, part of it's because they help each other. They love yeah. each other, you know? And, um, and, and you don't want to fall into believing the hype that you are helpless or yeah. you are hopeless. I do believe that regardless of the system, you can be successful. I told my daughters ages ago, your success is not dependent on the government. It is not dependent on what the government gives you. It is dependent on your initiative and on your desire to be exceptional. Agreed. Agreed. And I hope I, hope I can 
translate the same to my kids, man. You know, that's, tough, that's man. the reality. So, all right. So let me ask you one final question. And that okay. is, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience that we have not talked about? Tidbit of wisdom, philosophy, thought, anything I've missed or you just feel compelled? I mean, the, the only thing I'd say is I, I haven't thanked Brian Macaluso, who's on our advisory board. I mean, that's important. I can't leave him out or Rick Hernandez that came in early and and contributed so much, you know, um, Shay Evan or Perry McWater. There's just so many people to be grateful for. Gratitude's the attitude. You know, if you live your life that way, you're not going to regret it. There, there's a couple things you'll never regret. Spending too much time with your kids and being too thankful. <laughs> That's very good. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. People are going to be asking something more like, why did Jason spend two and a half hours? <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know how long we've been doing this, but it's been great. And I really enjoy talking with you, of course, always. And I really uh, admire what you're doing not only with Yards as a professional and as a founder, but also how you're balancing that with your family life and work life and, you know, all the best to you and your family and particularly your father. And just thanks, big thanks for being here with us. Jason Perez, CEO and founder of Yards. Great having you with us. So much to take away here. I'm not even sure how to how to compile all this, how to how to break it down. There's just a lot here and I really appreciate you sharing it with us and I know that our community's really going to love it. So thank you again. Well, I'm honored to be on. I really am. Thank you, Greg. All right, that is all you need to know about supply chain tech for this week. Don't forget to get to supplychainnow.com for more Supply Chain Now series, interviews, and events. And now we have two live streams per week, the most popular live show in supply chain. Supply Chain Buzz is every single Monday at noon Eastern time with Scott Luton and me, or maybe even somebody else. Plus, our Thursday live stream to be named later, where we will bring you whatever the hell we want. Hey, thanks for spending your valuable time with me. And remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. 